Turn with me again to that passage, that short psalm, just five verses, on page 624. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to your word just now, we will be reminded how all of our efforts, if you are not in them, will be in vain. Lord, we, we can't think of anything worse than of living our lives in vain without you at the heart of everything. Lord, even this time together, this this gathering in your house with your people, all of this could be in vain were you not at the heart of it. So Lord, we pray that you would come and you would take human words and make them once more your word. By your Spirit, speak your word to us. Use my words and our thoughts to do the work of your word in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Before I go into Psalm 127 here, I I want to thank you, uh, many of you who have been so kind to us as a family in the last couple of weeks. Um, All your uh, best wishes, your cards and, and your demonstrations of love to us. People have sent us cards. Some have given us gifts. We, we haven't cooked yet since Ruby was born because so many people have come and uh, have given us meals. Um, thank you. Um, I only wish that everybody, p- people here, but, but also people who live in the community round about, could have some sense of what it is to be part of the family of God. Folks, I think we're only beginning to get a glimpse of what what this life is that God has called us to. It's a glorious thing. It's a thing that as we experience it and as others see it, it's like nothing we could otherwise experience. So I want to thank you, those of you who have shown us uh, the goodness and the love of God in this past fortnight. It's been humbling. Thank you. This morning as we look at Psalm 127, we're coming to the eighth part of a series in the Songs of Ascent. These are 15 psalms from number 120 through to 134 in our English uh, modern version of the Bible. They're songs that God's people used to sing on their way to Jerusalem three times a year when they were going up to the annual festivals. So they're songs of people who are on their way to God and that's why I chose to, to have a look at these uh, at this point in our history as a congregation. We are interested in going to God. For lots of us here, a, a new identity is bo- being born in us uh, as disciples of Jesus Christ. People who are no longer to, content to sit or to stand still, to call ourselves Christians and say, that's what I am. Instead, we're saying, no, I'm something else. I, I'm a disciple. I'm a learner. I'm somebody who's going somewhere 
and who's moving. Well, these, these pilgrim songs have a, a wonderful sense of movement in them. These are the songs people sang as they were on a journey to God. And that's why we're spending a few weeks this summer looking at them. Before I come to Psalm 127, I want to very quickly cover the ground that we have covered so far. And the reason I'm doing this is that I'm conscious that a lot of us will have missed a good number of these songs on our way so far. Could you turn back with me to number 120? And just all I'll be doing really is making a short comment on each of these, these previous seven psalms. Psalm 120 is the one that got us started, and it's a, a psalm of repentance. If, you're, if you have a careful look there and a quick look, you'll see that the psalmist is fed up. He doesn't like his life as it is, and that's where we all need to start if we're to enter into life with God. Jesus, when he arrived in his public ministry, the first thing he said to people was repent. Change. Come away from that life that you're living and come and live a different way. And, and Psalm 120 is a psalm of repentance. We've got to be set free and move on from, from the lies of our culture and our, of our time if we're to live well for Jesus Christ. Psalm 121 tells us about God's providence, God's watching over us. That phrase is repeated lots of times in that psalm. Now, it's one that's very honest about danger. It talks about all sorts of things that, that threaten us on the road. But at the same time, it reassures us that God is with us. You see, all the water in all the oceans in all the world can't sink a ship unless they get inside it. And nor can all the harm in the world damage us unless it gets inside us, into the heart of us. And that's the very part that God wants to protect. He wants to keep us from all harm. Psalm 122 is a psalm of worship. It's a, an example of what we're doing here this morning, gathering together to worship God. And you'll notice at the end of the psalm that, that this worship changes the way we live outside, the way we live Monday to Saturday, if you like. The psalmist urges the worshipers to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You see, whenever we have truly worshipped God, we leave here wanting Belfast to be a different place. The peace of our city and our community becomes important to us when we've really met with the living God. Psalm 123 is the song of a person who understands that they're a servant of God. Disciples of Jesus Christ understand that too. With the psalmist, we say, I lift my eyes to you, to you whose throne is in heaven. Psalm 124 is a psalm of danger and of rescue. We're reminded that this life of discipleship is dangerous. The psalmist speaks of men attacking God's people, anger flaring against them, of floods and of raging waters. But in the end, the danger is not the key thing that's going on here. The key thing is the rescue from the danger. Praise be to God who hasn't let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. 
Last Sunday morning, Monty guided us through Psalms 125 and 126. In 125, we're reminded of the security uh, that we enjoy in our life with God. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. You remember there's a, a cordon of hills that surrounds Jerusalem that make it a, a protected place. And the psalmist saying, that's what it's like to be a, a man and a woman of God. We live, we live a life where God protects us. And in Psalm 126, as the pilgrims sang this, they celebrated all the wonderful things that God had done for them in the past. It's a song of laughter and of joy. It's a song of the wildest dreams come true. And it's a song that asks God to do it all again. It says, restore our fortunes. Let those who sow in tears reap with songs of joy. As we have looked at those psalms over those last weeks, and maybe even as I've skimmed through them just now, I'm conscious that some parts of some of those psalms will be familiar to at least some of you. This is quite a well-known part of God's Word. So you may well have heard stuff there that you're familiar with. And that's particularly the case when we come to the opening verse of today's psalm, Psalm 127. We read there, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. I, can th- I was thinking about this. That sounds really familiar to me, but where from? What are the contexts in which I've heard this? And then I, then I remembered at least a couple. Have you ever heard this at a wedding service? The preacher reads this verse, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers work in vain. He, he's reminding the couple who are coming together, who are just about to begin to build a home together. He's reminding them that unless God's at the center, it'll be a hollow affair. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers work in vain. So we we maybe think about it in the context of building a marriage or a home. I think I've also heard this verse used around churches at a time when, when they were either embarking on a building project or dedicating new buildings that they'd built and again, the minister uses this verse because he, he wants to remind the people that no matter how hard we work, no matter what we build and erect, unless God's in it, it's all a waste of time. So with that kind of usage, building homes, building churches and church halls, it, it's easy to think that this psalm might be all about building but this here isn't uh, a song for the building site. This, this song's much, much broader than that. This, this is a song for all people who work. And reading verses 1 and 2 make that clear. Let's read those verses. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. But then the psalmist goes on. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. So yes, it is a song about building work, but it's also a song about security work and watching over our property. And it ends up being a song about all the work that we do, the stuff that we do that gets us out of bed on a Monday morning, the stuff that keeps us working overtime, keeps us in the office long hours, keeps us working late. That's 
what this psalm is all about. Psalm 127 is a song about work. Maybe this isn't a good time to be thinking about Psalm 127 because we're all trying to get a break. It's the summer. It's the holidays. Um, people are looking at me thinking, oh, Christoph. We can't live well, though, can we? We can't live well for God unless we, we think clearly and well about our work because our work's unavoidable. It's such a major component of life. Now, most of us, I'm looking around, and unless we're landed gentry, most of us have had to work at some point in our lives. Uh, we're either working right now or, or have had to do so in the past. So this is, this is just part and parcel of what it is to, to live. Sometimes our work's good. I love it when I meet a person who, who clearly loves their work. Sometimes our work is, is really bad. Sometimes for, for people who love God, our work's a place where we really feel we can thrive living for God. And sometimes it, it isn't that way at all. We find that our work is a place where we, we can't seem to, to live with conviction and courage and success for God. But if we are to be disciples of Jesus Christ, then we need to learn to think about our work. We need to see in our work the opportunities that are there, but also the threats that are there. We need to learn to enter into our work as a place where we can do the will of God, a place where we'll be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And I think Psalm 127 very quickly shows us a wrong way to work and then gives us an example of a right way to work under God. The, the opening couple of verses tell us in plain terms about a wrong way of working. Working independently of God. Building houses, providing protection, all the work that we do, it's all going to be in vain, the psalmist says. It's all going to be a waste of time unless God's in it. Now, right at the beginning of our Bibles, we're told a story of of work done independent of God. Do you remember the Tower of Babel? Genesis 11. It's a story of a huge work project in the ancient world, but it's also the story of an unparalleled disaster. And the biblical writer is very clear with us about what's wrong with Babel. He doesn't leave us to guess. Listen carefully to what he says. He has the, the people talking among themselves. They say, come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the earth. They want to build a city for themselves so that they can make a name for themselves. So their efforts all be they very impressive, all be they huge in scale, are a waste of time. They're in vain because they're independent of God. I found this quite interesting when I thought about it because I thought, well, how much of the work in our world is done in the same way? And it struck me that possibly, well, certainly a lot of the work, maybe even most of the work 
that's done in our world is done in the spirit of Babel. It's done independent of God. It's me working so that I can build a wee kingdom for myself or maybe build a bit of a reputation for myself, make a name for myself. That's how I work. That's how we often work. That's how most of the work in our world is done. The psalmist says that kind of work is going to be in vain. It's going to be like the work done at Babel. You see, friends, the main difference between us as God's people, as Christians, and everyone else around us is that we take God seriously. We really believe that there's a God at the center of this world. We really believe that 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 should make a difference to how we work. And if it doesn't, then, then we're working in vain. We're working without God. We're, we're doing the work of Babel. What we long to do is to pay attention to what God is doing and what he's saying, to find out the work that he's doing and to join in with it. I've been talking there about the work that God is doing. God is a worker, and that's the premise really, of this psalm. Uh, Look again carefully at those opening two verses. Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord watches over the city. You see, God is building, and God is watching. He does work. And the Bible is not slow. You don't have to read way, way into the Bible before you discover that God's a worker. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, arrives with the announcement, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say in the beginning God sat or chilled out, as we would say, chilled out majestic in heaven. It doesn't say that in beginning God sat in heaven satisfied with his beauty and with his love. Nope. It tells us straight away that God created something. God did something. He made something. So Genesis 1, when you think about the structure of that chapter, you could read it as God's, God's timesheet. Here's, here's a week. Here's what I did this week or this six days. You see, the most important thing that's going on in our world this morning is the work that God is doing. Genesis 1 introduces us to the God who works, and then the rest of the Bible tells us in great detail what kind of work God does. We're told in those opening chapters that God creates this world, and he goes on creating and recreating it and sustaining it. But the Bible tells us also that God provides us with with help and with comfort and with compassion and salvation. I don't know if there's a better verse in the whole Bible to sum up God's work than what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10. He tells us that God is at work to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Jesus Christ. God the Father is working in our world to recreate it and to create a people 
who will recognize Jesus as Lord and who will worship him. That's the work that God is doing. So one of the reasons why we read the Bible is to, to discover this, to find out what work God is doing so that we can enter into it uh, alongside him. Our work goes wrong when we do it independently of God. Have you been recently or, or maybe even now in a place where your work's going badly? We can become anxious, can't we? We can worry about the, the outcomes of our work. We can become frantic, imagining that everything depends on us, and if I don't get it done, it won't be done, and the world will fall apart. The psalmist warns us that this, this way of thinking, this way of working, is a waste of time. He says, in vain, we rise up early and stay up late. The psalmist has warned us about working independently of God. So if he uses those first couple of verses to warn us, the psalmist uses the remaining three verses to give us an example of work done under God. Look at those final three verses. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when they contend with the enemies in the gate. Now, this is one of those moments where you're glad that you're sitting in the pew rather than preaching and trying to work out what the second part of this psalm has to do with the first. Isn't it? Let me tell you what I think is going on here. I think the psalmist has chosen childbearing as one example of the work that God does and that he does on our behalf. Think about it for a moment. What do we do to get our sons and our daughters? Very little. Everyone knows this. You ask anyone who's had a child, and, and they will know the experience, that sense of what a gift of God's grace it is to be given a child. Nobody would ever claim that they, they have earned this. And ask also the couple who, who long for a child and who know how futile their efforts can appear to be as they, they try to influence the processes of conception. The process of having a child, it requires our participation, but, but not in a way that we would call work. We didn't make these, these marvelous wee creatures who, who grow up among us, who, who learn to crawl and to walk and to talk. God did. He made them. And he gives them to us in our families and in our community. Sons are a gift from God. Children, a heritage from him. If you were here during our recent series when we were looking at the Bible's teaching on the family, you'll know that God's provision isn't limited to biological children. You'll know how Jesus reinterprets 
the Old Testament promises all about biological family. And, and he would reinterpret this psalm, the sons here, to include all of our relationships in the family of God. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. He says, yes, I have a biological mother. I have biological brothers and sisters. But there's something even greater than that. And that's this family of those who know and do the will of God. You see, for people of the new covenant, Psalm 127 verse 3 could read like this. Fellow Christians are a heritage from the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ are a reward from him. Friends, it's true. Biological children are a gift from God. But so are our brothers and sisters in Christ, those whom God gives us to share life with us. The more I I thought about this, the more it struck me that actually all the best things in life are the very things that we can't earn the very things that we must receive as a gift. Our sons and our daughters, our friends and our neighbors, real relationships, real closeness, real intimacy, those are all gifts. We can't have them unless God chooses to give them to us. Do you see now what the psalmist is doing here? In a psalm all about work, he's telling us about this this work that is right at the center of what God is doing in the world. Once we begin to understand God's work, we begin to understand our own work. We're going to find a way of working as we get to know God's ways better that isn't about earning money so that we can accumulate possessions and wealth. We're going to find a way of work that mirrors the work that God does. It's a way that that brings people together. It's a way of working that calls people who don't yet know Jesus into a relationship with him. It's a kind of work that, that, as it does that, brings people into relationships with one another. All of a sudden, the focus of all of our work is no longer wealth and power and status. It's people. Because that's the work that God is doing. That's the work we as his disciples long to be involved in. You know, it it seems to me, folks, looking at this psalm, that would be a tragedy to waste our lives pursuing all the same outcomes that everyone around us pursues with their work. Don't settle for a big bank account, a big house, and a, a flashy car. Not when you could be at the very heart of what this universe is all about. Drawing people together and to know Jesus. I want to finish this morning by saying that all of this couldn't be more down to earth. Every one of us can do this work anytime. And we can do it whatever our paid job happens to be or even whether we're retired 
Anytime that we live out the life of Christ in the place where God has put us, then we're doing this work that God has called us to. Whenever you make the effort here on a Sunday morning to remember the name of a person you're talking to so that you can talk to them again next week and the week after and maybe build a new relationship with them, when you do that, you're doing the work that is right at the heart of the universe, the building of the kingdom of God. Whenever you follow up on a smile or, or a look of despair that you see on, on the face of somebody here or, or outside, whenever you see that and you follow up on that to encourage that person and to, to build them up, you do the very work that God is doing building up people in this world. Whenever you go to the trouble of making a meal or having guests into your home, then you're doing God's work. Friends, you're doing the work then that God's already doing and the work that he longs to bless. Let's do that. Let's commit here and now to entering more and more and more into the work that God's doing so that our work won't be in vain. The psalmist's right. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Let's pray. Father God, as we reflect on, on what, you've, what you've taught us in your word, we're, we're quite struck by the huge change in our mindset that we require at this point. Lord, we, we have always imagined that our work is something that we do for ourselves. It's something that we do to make a living or to get ahead to make a name for ourselves. But here you tell us that unless you're at the heart of our work, unless we enter into the very work that you're doing, all our work will be in vain. Lord, we don't want to waste our lives. We don't want to look back on, on careers and on decades squandered Lord, draw us more and more into the work that you're doing. That is calling people to know and to love your son and building them up in the family of your people. Lord, help us to do that work. Help us to do it in our homes, in, in the offices you've placed us, in, in the hospitals and schools where we work, in, in all those places, Lord, where we serve you. Lord, help us to enter into your work. Help us that our work won't be in vain, but instead will be gloriously worthwhile because you are in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.